0: welcome back to probably about politics this episode we have an interview with donald wright a professor at the university of New brunswick kind of part of our summer school uh segment but also kind of part of our local politics doing some interviews with people who are in the know just
1: like generally hitting everything that we're excited about are interested in
0: yeah but uh in seriousness it's i think an interesting thing to talk about we don't really talk about climate change that much on the show um mm-hmm. in many of the elections that i think we talk about it doesn't really feature prominently often people yeah. and i think that's kind of an issue that we talk about in in the interview is that it's not really a front of mind or top of mind problem when people mm-hmm. don't have jobs and people have the economy is failing and these kind of more in-your-face problems
1: yeah and i I think it was like a yeah it's like a great this was a good place to start talking about a how we haven't been talking about climate change and then how do you how do you talk about it so that we can really we can make sure we're talking about it as the all-encompassing issue that it is for us Mm -hmm. um and 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 make sure we know when we should be featuring it in our politics and the way it's going to impact us
0: Yeah. And not only that, we talk a little bit about going forward with climate change, kind of how it's dealt with at an international level, at a national level, and also at a provincial level with a bit of Canadian flavor and New Brunswick flavor on the Mm -hmm. East Coast. And also, if anybody's interested in this sort of stuff, uh, there's a bit at the end about how you could go and plan a course about this. Dr. Wright teaches a course on climate change and politics at uh, UNB and so he gives a few tips about uh planning your own course uh on such a topic
1: yeah and so even if you're not designing a course but you're a university student and you have a professor that you is your favorite professor go talk to uh him or her and uh say hey can can we start teaching this
0: and have them listen to this podcast starting now Okay, so we have Don Wright here from the University of New Brunswick uh, to talk about his course that he's developed on climate change and the politics of climate change that he teaches at the university. Uh, so thanks for coming on the show for us uh, Don It's my pleasure
2: to be here thanks for inviting me and thanks Kaylee for for reaching out really excited to have
1: a have some more voices to come on and talk with us <laughs>
0: <laughs> Could you give like a brief overview of uh, what you do at the University of New Brunswick and kind of how you got into teaching a course based on <laughs> climate change and politics and kind of how those things uh, go together
2: yeah that's a great question I guess. It started a few years ago. I teach Canadian politics and I teach American politics. And a student once said after the course, he said, oh, sir, great course, great course. Learned a lot. But, you know, you should teach more environmental politics. You should teach something about the climate and climate politics. And I thought, you know, that's a good point because that's the world these students, and for that matter, I am living in. And so I developed uh, a couple of units, one for my American politics course and one for my Canadian politics course. And it was a pretty simple unit on uh, climate diplomacy, uh, Canada's role in the Kyoto negotiations and Canada's very problematic record on Kyoto. Uh, and then it just went from there i developed another unit on taxation and the politics of taxation Uh, i developed yet another unit on denial and the politics of denial which is huge as you know in the united states especially Mm -hmm. and then it just became logical why not bring it all together in a course called the politics of climate change Mm -hmm. and i joke students in the 1960s and 1970s, wanted to understand Quebec. They had to understand Quebec. We didn't understand Quebec, we didn't understand Canada. Well, we still have to understand Quebec and Quebec politics, but that question really has been resolved for the time being. Uh, The outstanding question, of course, is the environment, is climate, and what's coming down the pipe. And so instead of developing a course in Quebec politics, I decided to develop a course in the politics of climate change.
1: So it, it, is, is it students that you find that are attending it? Are they all, you know, they're political science-minded or environmental science-minded students? I, I know that those both exist at UMB, but are they coming from other departments? Or?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, because I thought it would be all political science students. I mean, just looking to get their first year course and move into their second mm-hmm. year and be done with it. Uh, but I was stunned at the number of non-political science students and not just non-political science students non-art students mm-hmm. I have a lot of engineering students a lot of science students and a lot for some reason of computer science students interesting, interesting indeed <laughs> yeah. and, and in some ways those are the most interesting students the engineers mm-hmm. are great because for them climate change is just an engineering problem yeah <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we can en- engineer our way out of this challenge. I mean, it's just an engineering, like a bridge. Yeah. It's an engineering problem. For them, it's it's fascinating the way their brains work. Uh, mm-hmm. And I get a lot of insight uh, into um, geoengineering, uh, but not just geoengineering on a large scale, but small scale engineering, mm-hmm. more efficient yeah. houses, more efficient uh, batteries, Uh, more efficient energy grids. Mm -hmm. Um, So those students are great. Computer science students are fascinating too because they're into uh, modeling, obviously, Uh, as you know, Uh, Kaylee, better than me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're huge into computer modeling. And while climate modeling is a huge dimension of of not so much the climate politics, but of understanding climate change, of trying to predict 25, 50, 100 years down Mm -hmm. the road, but also and at the risk of insulting your intelligence, (laughs) Kayla, because I know you're huge into into computers, attribution science. How can you attribute a particular event to climate change? Mm -hmm. Because, well, you know, we've always had heat waves. Is the heat wave connected to climate change? Mm -hmm. That's a very different uh, question and a very difficult question to answer. Uh, But computer modeling is getting better and better and better, uh, and they're able now, with very complicated models, to attribute one-off events Mm -hmm. uh, to climate change or say it's much more likely because of climate change even if we can't definitively say this climate change or this extreme rain event or this hurricane uh, was uh, the result of climate change it's likely that we can attribute it Mm -hmm. to climate change
0: so you touched on a few (laughs) a few different things there one of them reminds me of um you say that a lot of different students from different backgrounds take this course because it's kind of it is a very interesting way of having uh, kind of your fingers in a lot of pies. You take this course and you learn about a lot of uh, different areas of politics. Even um, we have a course sort of similar, but on the flip side at uh, McMaster, just called water. Oh, fascinating. And So there's a lot of, it's, it's a required course for science students, but then a lot of art students and humanities students take it as their elective. Yeah, And it's kind of a way to introduce all the different types of science and how it all affects something that affects you on kind of a personal level. Yeah, yeah. And so, so the students coming in from such a diverse background, and it's something that the instructors of water kind of struggle with. Um, how much uh, knowledge is kind of expected of these different areas? So you said you had like a, a taxation yeah, spot and yeah, an international yeah. politics spot. How much of that knowledge is required coming in and how much of it is kind of a crash course after crash course
2: It's a ser- in it, each
0: it, different area?
2: That's a great question, Alex. It's a series of crash courses. But be- and that was deliberate, actually. It's, it's not mm-hmm. uh, at the second, third, or fourth year level. It's at the first year level. Now, so I assume that these students know nothing about uh, climate change and even less about the politics of climate change. So uh, we actually start the course with a very simple question, what is climate mm-hmm. change? Uh, and mm-hmm. I give out a cue card in the very first day, uh, and I ask that question, what is climate change? Uh, and they have to write down an answer. And it's incredible. And this is not to be mean to students, uh, mm-hmm. because what did I know in first year university? I was <laughs> an ignorant, you know, not, you know what I mean? Yeah. You come out of high school, you don't know a lot about the world, and you've never studied climate change in, in the classroom. You've heard about it in the news. You've seen it mm-hmm. on your Facebook feed. Uh, so you get all sorts of crazy answers uh, about when you ask the question, what is climate change? although a handful are able to attribute greenhouse gases to climate change, but not that many. Mm -hmm. Or some of them just are saying, well, it's global heating. Mm -hmm. Well, it is, but it's a lot more complicated. Um, Yeah. But by the end of the course, or sorry, by the end of the first uh, several lectures, uh, they have a basic understanding of the science of climate change, uh, of sea level rise, of... uh, polar amplification or arctic amplification and this is one and and alex i'll defer to your expertise uh, this is this is one that keeps me up at night ocean acidification mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. they have an understanding of these terms how they're connected and then we can go on to talk about uh, the politics of climate change around the world but they again we, yeah. alex we start at the very beginning what is climate change what is co2 what is nitrous (laughs) oxide what is water vapor and on and on yeah
0: um do you ask that same question at the end of the course and see (laughs) answers change because we had in uh in a microbiology course I took we asked what is a gene at the start of the course great question yeah and at the end it, everybody had even more confused answers. <laughs> you come in, you're like, it's this thing, right? Yeah. And then at the end, you're like, wow, it's a lot of more things that I than I really thought. So I yeah. don't, but I will. And I'll, and I'll
2: call it the Alex question. This is the Alex. Qu- yeah. the, one of the reasons I don't, Alex, is because I'm, I get so excited when I teach. By December, I'm usually two or three lectures behind. Yeah. So I, I, I can't afford the time. But I'm going to ask the Alex question on the last day of class, uh What is climate change?
1: Because yeah, and like I think about it, is what like what he what Alex was saying about you just like the answer gets even more confused, but it's also like so much more exciting to realize like the way that I thought or exciting maybe is the wrong word, but the way that I thought, climate change was is from all these different perspectives i can see the way that is very much encompassing of all of our disciplines and of all of our yes various challenges and the way it impacts
2: them like alex's water course it brings in all the disciplines Uh, even the poets uh think about water Mm -hmm. and what water means um uh, political scientists certainly think about water and the politics of water and why some places are water rich and why some places are water poor yeah. and why some places water is free and why other places you simply can't afford yeah. it. Um, yeah, climate change is is, is a huge uh, area uh, and you can break it down into those really small questions and then by doing that I think you get a man a measure of control mm-hmm. you could say something about the world you live in mm-hmm. uh, that you can mm-hmm. understand the world y- you live in and i say to the students you can now read the globe and mail you can now read the new york times you can now uh listen critically to cbc uh and, and bbc and yeah. cnn because if you don't you're just walking around blind
1: yeah i guess so is that, so is this concept of the measure of control, like you say in the outline, like you're not, not trying to depress students with the story of an eco-apocalypse, is, is the effort to give a measure of control when you're reading and, yeah. and literary understand or liter, climate literacy, I guess, to a certain degree, part of that process? That's a or? great
2: phrase, climate literacy, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of citizenship. Mm-hmm. You just have to be literate. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be an engaged, alive citizen. And this is really the function of education, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, the politics of climate change or whether it's it's water broadly conceived uh, or whether it's medieval poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be a literate, critical, engaged citizen. And today, to be a, literal, a literate, critical, and engaged citizen means you must understand mm-hmm. climate change, yeah. what it is, and have an understanding of climate politics. Uh, Maybe not necessarily climate politics in Australia, although I'm fascinated by Australia (laughs) being so out to lunch on the climate question. But certainly in Canada, you have to understand, because it's a debate that's taking place right now around pipelines, around carbon prices, Mm -hmm. around Maxine Bernier's lunatic tweets.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I guess, so on that sort of like that note of Maxine Bernier, like you have you have to i guess in having conversations with your students talk about like the 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 quote unquote other side of climate denialism but how i guess we know that like scientifically that's like it's just not grounded in science like how do you engage that without i guess how do you engage with that i guess
2: (laughs) climate denial is absolutely fascinating Uh, these people the Mark Moranos of the world, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Heartland Institutes of the world, uh, the Senator Inhoffs of the world, for heaven's sakes, the Donald Trumps of the world, they are living in a, an alternate universe. Yeah. But remember, their goal is not to convince you of that the climate isn't changing. Mm-hmm. Their goal is to simply sow the seeds of doubt. Yeah. And they're very effective at that. Um, I listened to Mark Morano was uh, one of the leading climate deniers. And he's very effective. Yeah. And I come away from listening to him and go, he's right. They are pulling the wool over our eyes. They just want to raise our taxes. Yeah. Bloody liberals. It's the liberals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who want to raise our taxes or take away our freedom. Mm-hmm. Take away my right to drive a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, that's, of course, not what anybody wants to do. They don't want to take away your freedom. They don't want to take away your car. But they do say we must get our emissions Mm -hmm. under control but again the deniers have this universe of 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 rhetorical strategies and they're very effective at using those rhetorical strategies to sow the seeds Mm -hmm. of doubt because again if there's doubt that prevents effective climate policy Mm -hmm. effective climate action um and an effective climate policy and effective climate action will mean yes taxation mm-hmm. uh, a carbon price yeah. it will no longer be free to pollute yeah uh, and, and we're seeing that in canada and we're seeing all this dissent around it mm-hmm. and at all things considered in the grand scheme of carbon price systems the canadian price it's very small yeah yeah and that's yeah. been conceded by the experts it it, it is a tiny mm-hmm. price yeah. uh, and yet the resistance to it um it it really does boggle the mind
1: mm-hmm. yeah and i guess that sort of has to do with where where does the conversation start are we starting at like a denial of whether climate change is happening uh, and then it, if you if that's where so i assume the ability to understand the science of it and and engage with that is definitely a way of addressing um yep. why perhaps why um climate denialism perhaps isn't necessarily a valid like o- other side of the debate
2: um yeah sure. yes it and indeed most newspapers now and most media outlets no longer have the other side i mean that the debate has been settled climate change is real it is happening it portends enormous consequences Uh, so they no longer in their stories about climate change get the obligatory denier to offer the competing uh, opinion Uh, there is now only one position in mainstream media climate change is real Mm -hmm. it is happening. Uh, and it portends enormous consequences, but I don't need to convince no, you yeah. <laughs> of
1: the enormous yeah, consequences.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're sentient. And so I think from both sides, I think answering that question they that ask at the start of the year of what, of what is climate change? I think a lot of people would say climate change is scary. Bloody a yes. lot of people that I know. Yes. And so there's that fear on both sides where some people are saying climate change isn't real and they're only trying to do all these things. And then there's the fear on the other side of, oh my God, there's climate change happening. Um, And so in a course like this where there's kind of a lot of emotions involved probably on both sides, and you definitely kind of address some of that fear by kind of understanding what's happening. But when you talk about kind of the international uh, response or lack of there to climate change, how does that kind of go over with students and how do you address that and it's it seems like it would be hard to not kind of get into activism or is that what you're trying to do with the students yeah and kind of remove your own feelings about the type of situation
2: my job as an educator and that's an excellent question you've hit on so many things my job as an educator is not to create little activists who will go out with a placard and 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 storm the legislative assembly or or be move to england and or paris and become members of extinction rebellion Mm -hmm. Uh, my job is not to create uh activists if they go on to become activists more power to them Mm -hmm. Uh, my job is to introduce the material allow them to think about it critically and in new ways uh, so that they can participate in the conversation on climate change and on climate solutions Uh, Kaylee, and also you, Alex, you talked about emotions, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very difficult to talk about climate change sometimes yeah. because it is so f- very serious. It is an existential threat uh, to civilization. The species mm-hmm. will survive, there will always be Homo sapiens, mm-hmm. but civilization, as we know it, probably won't. When will it collapse? I don't know. 2075, 2100, 2125. I don't know, um, and it won't be a pretty collapse. It will be a very violent collapse. Uh, and it—I know some students do get discouraged, uh, and I try not to—to to do that. I try to say that there are cool things being done. Mm-hmm. There are these glimmers of hope. We do a unit uh, on activism, Alex. We do a unit on extinction rebellion, uh, and to call it climate politics from the bottom-up as opposed Mm -hmm. to top-down politics, UN, uh, you know, climate diplomacy, international treaties, etc. We look at uh, bottom-up, and that's quite inspiring to Mm -hmm. students. Um, The engineers, they always bring it back to, we can engineer our way out of this. Uh, Uh, There is a more efficient light bulb out there. There is a more efficient uh, energy source out there. There are uh micro or local nuclear energy sources out there um, so they keep it positive um, but yeah sometimes the emotions of climate change do run uh the risk of or it run the range of uh anger and frustration to total despair and defeat well, what's the point? I might as well buy an SUV yeah. in a 3,500-square-foot house and party like there's no tomorrow because there is no tomorrow. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And there's some, there is also some interesting... Uh, Reading that I've done before on on the engaging with the emotions of climate change and and the and the sadness that individuals who are felt like what what are the psychological and emotional impacts and and not that we're, we we dive into that because I'm not an expert on it for sure but it's that seems to be like a whole area of like how how um like emotionally and psychologically and soci- sociologically will we cope with um cope with the challenge because i think we are definitely hitting at it as like it's just uh, this mammoth and and you do want to break it down into little sections that you can manage but even still there it is going to be so big and difficult to to educate about and to to address uh, beyond education
2: yeah it is what political scientists call a super wicked problem (laughs) Uh, because a super wicked problem is a problem with many sources Mm -hmm. it's not just a single source of climate change and it's a problem without a single solution Mm -hmm. yeah making it a super wicked problem (laughs) Um, and that can be daunting and that can be depressing and that can be discouraging Uh, but I find and it's the expression and I'm sure you heard it in graduate school Mm -hmm. knowledge is power Mm -hmm. yeah if you have a little knowledge of something you you do feel empowered. Mm-hmm. You you say I can I know something about the world. I can do something about the world. I can stand up against the world. So knowledge can be very empowering as mm-hmm. opposed to disempowering. Yeah. But I would be less than honest with you with you both if I didn't say there are times when I am just overwhelmed. Yeah. By yeah. what I read mm-hmm. uh, and some of the podcasts I listen to uh, with the experts. Um. Here's a, a useless uh, fact for you, or a random fact or inserted fact. Even if we meet the Paris mm-hmm. targets, even if we meet the Paris, what are now called nationally determined contributions, mm-hmm. no longer mm-hmm. targets, they're now nationally determined to contributions, even if those are all met, which is unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the world will still warm by 3.5 degrees Mm -hmm. and when the world gets and that's a global mean obviously some places will be hotter some places won't be that hot Um, but at that point all bets are off yeah and that's by the end of this century Mm -hmm. now I'll be dead Kaylee you Mm. may Alex you may still be alive in (laughs) in the old folks home (laughs) yeah uh, but i'll be dead but the point is my kids won't my yeah, kids won't.
1: Yeah. yeah
2: and that's even if we meet the goals of paris and the incredible thing about paris i don't know if you've ever read paris kaylee a bit yeah I mean, a little yes, I, bit. Have. <laughs> I mean it says right in the document that the nationally determined contributions agreed to in this document yeah. are insufficient yeah. to a two degree c scenario yeah. They confess yeah. that, that it's not yeah it's not going to make the, the, mm-hmm. the grade at the end of the day
1: yeah it's I mean, I I'm sure that like just as a researcher in this area it has been like you, you have to walk away sometimes because it's it's just a little bit overwhelming um, and then like figure your own ways to manage uh, either positivity or uh, a reason to continue yeah. uh, doing the research I guess so it, it, it that's it's something that has often weighed on I me. Mean, it's like, how do we talk to other people about it when you yourself yeah. are a little weighed down by it? Um, but yeah. yeah, for sure.
2: Well, Catherine hayhoe and I'm sure you've heard of Katherine mm-hmm. hayhoe She's one of the great climate leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a scientist studying climate change um, in the states. At Texas A and I believe, or Texas Tech, Texas Tech, mm. I think. You met know, Catherine Hayho is one of the great climate scientists and one of the great climate communicators. She's one of those rare people who can. And Alex, I'm I, I, I'm thrilled that you're a scientist and you want to communicate, because that's a real, really a rare skill, uh, to take your very specialized knowledge and be able to communicate it to to wider audiences. But her point is a very simple one: we've got to talk about it. We've yeah. just got to talk about climate change. It's not a easy conversation it can be a very difficult conversation it can be a very uh disheartening conversation because it deals with questions of loss and disappearance mm-hmm. uh, but we've got to talk about it uh, because from those conversations at the dinner table in the neighborhood uh, in the community will come yeah. action yeah and there are solutions and we, we have to remember that there are solutions mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, there there is there is some something to the engineering mentality if we can build our way out of it. it. Whether or not we... I totally agree with you can build your way out of it, but there is something certainly to that mentality, yep. I think.
2: Yeah. Yep. yeah.
0: You bring up a, a good point, and I think this will tie into kind of... You talk about, in the course, local politics and kind of New Brunswick-level politics sure. and provincial level and national level as well. And also... You just said you have to talk about it at the dinner table. And also there's a Thanksgiving break (laughs) in the middle of the course that's offered. And especially this this fall, you're going to have a federal election Thanksgiving break. And you're also teaching about climate change. How do the students kind of, do they come back after Thanksgiving break with uh, more gusto, less gusto, uh, more excited about what they're learning? And do you think that would be different in different regions of Canada or... Kind of tying it back to new like New Brunswick level politics. I don't know if you talk to them that personally.
2: That's a good question. I'm not sure I've ever measured their mood before and after Thanksgiving. Um, I will say one thing though and it's not because I'm a good teacher uh, it, the course has very strong enrollments and very strong attendance mm-hmm. and it, I say it's not me it's the material. Well, it's fascinating yeah, yeah. the material is fascinating. And students want to understand their world. Mm-hmm. Um, they want, and so, and you talk about New Brunswick. I said, well, I could have had a unit on Alberta. I could have had a unit on Ontario. And climate politics in Ontario are pretty interesting. Uh, but I said, well, we live in New Brunswick. Let's do a unit on New Brunswick. And actually, New Brunswick produced uh, uh, a very, very thoughtful climate action plan. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it will be implemented, that's a different story, <laughs> but it's a, yeah. very, it's a very thoughtful climate action plan. Uh, a select committee of MLAs did travel across the province, talked to everybody and anybody, uh, both folks on the mm-hmm. ground uh, and, and academics and professionals, uh, and went back to the drawing board and then produced, as I say, this very thoughtful action plan. Um, and students like, wow. We're making a difference here. Mm-hmm. There's actually, it's not just backwoods New Brunswick. Yeah. We actually, there is something happening. Climate politics just isn't at the United Nations. It's mm-hmm. not just Donald Trump. It's not mm-hmm. just, and I defer to mm-hmm. your expertise. It's not just Tuvalu and, mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. Kiribati. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's right here in mm-hmm. Fredericton. It's right here in New Brunswick. It's it's in Sussex, where I'm from. It's in the Miramichi, where mm-hmm. I'm from. And then they talk about, oh, that, I guess that's why my city is working on the retaining wall, because of <laughs> sea level rise. That's why your city is working on the retaining wall. It's yeah. because of sea level rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think that, as I say, is a nice hook for students to see that their world, or climate change is impacting their world, but their world is responding to climate change in pretty creative ways. And what was interesting about that Select Committee's uh, action plan, one of its recommendations was to introduce the teaching of climate change mm-hmm. uh, in the public school system uh, to develop units as part of science courses, uh, but also to see uh, and, uh, and encourage the teaching of climate change in the post-secondary system. Yeah. So I thought, hey, I'm ahead of the curve. I, <laughs> I beat them to the punch. <laughs> <laughs> and we're already doing this. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, I, yeah, I think that translates well when you think of, like, um, I mean, there's always, there's been some talk of, like, having uh, political, like, federal political debates that are, like, specifically climate change, but yes. then I heard somebody else say, well, no, I think you should just have every topic where you have to also say how do you address climate change within that, yes. because it is much more mm-hmm. conducive to saying that this is yeah. in every issue, yeah. yeah.
2: And that's something that we were talking earlier before we started recording, we were talking about a podcast, America Adapts. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Doug Parsons, the host of America Adapts, is very good at, is showing how climate change is not just this isolated Mm -hmm. policy problem. Yeah. It's related to housing. It's related to public Mm -hmm. health. Mm -hmm. It's related to recreation spaces. It's related uh, to public lands and public parks. So he's very, very good at that. that Climate change is not just a separate box, which we have to deal with and then move on. It affects all the boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, Some groups, we do know this, uh, poor people and people of colour will be impacted first. In Canada, it's Indigenous people, uh, certainly in the far north, north of 60, who are going Mm -hmm. to be impacted first and hardest because of the melting permafrost and the the shifting ice. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you separate climate change from a discussion of Indigenous politics? Well, you can't. No, it's they're, the same. they they overlap and they mm-hmm. they're mutually reinforcing. And I think that's one thing I've taken many things from Doug Parsons, and I'm putting in a plug for Doug Parsons' oh. uh, uh, podcast. America adapts. Um, yeah. One thing he has taught me is just the tremendous interconnections of climate mm-hmm. change and how it affects so many different aspects of our lives and our yeah. communities
1: yeah and i definitely i think like for me going for it like became my academic lens like that's how i now look at a lot of of anything that i'm thinking about academically and i know like it for many students that i work with it's like gender like how do you and i look at it very similarly like i i understand that you should look at everything with a gender lens to see how how does that um, play in that situation yep. and I think very much uh, moving towards an idea where climate change is a lens that we should also apply every time Yeah,
2: yeah. and indeed you can't talk about gender and development uh, in the global south mm-hmm. without talking about gender development and climate, climate change, change. Yep. in the global south <laughs> yes. yeah. because that's going to impact men and women differently mm-hmm. in the global south Yeah, obviously yes. yeah. Um, and it, it makes our job much harder as social scientists to uh, But it does make it more interesting Mm -hmm. and and it does make it more relevant uh and it does help us understand what's unfolding Mm -hmm. in real time yeah i mean the migrant crisis it's very difficult to talk about the migrant crisis Mm -hmm. and not talk about climate change yeah but how would you but then the obvious critic would say and it's a thoughtful question how do you ever measure that yeah because they're fleeing war well, they're not fleeing climate change well that's true but that war has been exacerbated by seven years of persistent of drought yeah uh and it's increased social tensions mm-hmm. uh, in that particular region
1: yeah i guess uh, i guess the, the next the thing that i would next say is like so we sort of talked about how because like focusing on new brunswick you can make better connections because it is in your community. Um, but then you do do, again, you, you do a section on Oceania, like yes. Australia, Oceania, um, the U.S. Like, how is it, is that as engaging or like, does it come from like, once we've connected to how it is locally, we're interested in yeah. how it is in other places or how does that connection get made, I guess?
2: Excellent question, because of course, we don't live in the United States and mm-hmm. we certainly don't live uh, in Australia, yeah. although we're influenced by the United States. We're obviously less influenced by Australia yeah. and Oceania, <laughs> but you cannot study the politics of climate change without studying the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Obviously, it fits, it's the world's yeah. largest contributor, second largest contributor, depending on how you want to measure it, whether it's per capita or, or mm-hmm. gross yeah. uh, measurement. Um, and, of course, they are the world's leading superpower and a leading player at, at, in climate diplomacy, so you have to say mm-hmm. the United States. Um, but why Australia? Excellent question. Um, and I, I'd have to say... I don't know why okay. Australia. I guess I was just interested in it. Yep. I wanted another country. Um, they have a fascinating politics in Australia, mm-hmm. yes, uh, because coal is so vital to the to the the um, uh, Australian economy uh, that that it that it has polarized their politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after the United States, it has the strongest tradition of climate denial. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I chose Australia. Um, because of the Great Barrier Reef, it's a—it's not just an Australian symbol. It's a—it's a, it's a it's, world yeah, symbol yeah. Um, of oceans and beauty and whatnot. We all recognize the Great Barrier mm-hmm. Reef. We might not be able to locate it on a map, but we think, okay, Australia, Great Barrier Reef. Um, and of course, it is under tremendous stress. Yeah, the Great Barrier Reef is disappearing. And that allows me to talk about another aspect of climate change and that's, uh, I'm treading in your territory, Alex, again, ocean acidification mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and the terrifying consequences of, 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 of an acidifying ocean. Uh, what it means for the reef, what it means for fisheries, what it means for flood control. Um, and then you get interesting politics in Australia, uh, you know, the climate activists holding mock funerals yeah. for the Great Barrier Reef. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so students, I think, can recognize that. Mm-hmm. And then about Oceania and this and the small island developing states, um, they have young people do have a, an instinctive sense of justice, of yeah. right and wrong. The world is right and the world is wrong. Uh, and climate refugees, they get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the folks in Tuvalu, the folks in Kiribati, the folks in the Maldives. Is it by 2050? 2075, yeah. 2100, because it's very difficult to predict mm-hmm. sea level rise uh, for many reasons. Uh, we don't know when those islands mm-hmm. will be uninhabitable and what will happen to those people. Yeah. So the question of climate refugees, I think, is really good mm-hmm. because that puts something of a face mm-hmm. on what can be kind of an abstract mm-hmm. uh, question. Climate change, politics of climate change. Well, okay, Yeah. you're not directly impacted right now um uh in new brunswick um but people are yeah. in bangladesh because of saltwater intrusion and because mm-hmm. of more intense cyclones in the bay of bengal people are in the maldives because of sea level rise and ocean acidification um and what's the what's the height of the maldives like 2.5 meters yeah, or something probably, yeah Would've something like that yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm.
2: And we were talking earlier about uh, Keuribas. What's the highest point in Kiribati yeah, Three meters. Three yeah, meters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be it's very good. difficult yes. to survive uh, yeah. sea level rise mm-hmm. and saltwater intrusion.
0: You hit close to the podcast's heart talking about Australia. Kaylee and I like to always talk about New Zealand for okay. some reason. It's uh, become a podcast favorite, uh, which has very different politics. Very different pod- politics. Or, uh, climate change compared to uh, Australia. And, they had,
2: and yeah. their prime minister is the bomb right now.
1: Yeah. she's.
0: That's why yeah. we we love Jacinda.
2: Yeah. yeah. She, I, I have Jacinda fever. <laughs> and I thought during that, that tragedy in Christchurch, mm-hmm. yeah. her leadership was astounding. Yeah. I mean, that was mm-hmm. world leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she even said, I read an interview with her after she said she was just on overdrive in it, mm-hmm. in a different yes. plane. She wasn't thinking about what she was doing pure instinct yeah but talk about being the right woman at the the right time
1: or the job at the right time yeah and i think even like Mm -hmm. just the the play of uh, the way that indigenous relations are there and everything is very is a different uh, they're handling it in a different level than us at this moment i think obviously different countries and different populations and 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 to handle it but it is an interesting i think we we do end up contrasting them between australia we've covered australia a couple times because as you said the politics is it's fascinating i mean
2: (laughs) and you think uh, australia think laid back beach bondi beach topless beach you know the whole thing yeah Uh Uh, but in fact they have a very very conservative Mm -hmm. political culture yeah uh, Mm -hmm. and a strong tradition of climate denial and yet they are on the front lines of climate mm-hmm. change, uh, yeah, persistent drought, persistent heat waves, mm-hmm. uh, and and the Murray River Delta, oh my gosh, I mean that's the long term uh, prospects uh, are not good.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, in in the most recent. Like sort of update of the new, like the there was recently the Pacific Island Forum in Australia having yes. to go there, yes, and um, mm-hmm. sort of say that we are your we are your family and friends who want to help you. But then the Pacific, I think, their as we were talking about activism, their activism is very fascinating. The way they sort of demonstrate, um, like what it means for them to potentially be disappearing or and the sea level rise, and then and to say like you're not being good family to us because uh, you are not addressing your you're because you are denying climate, or because you are not uh, meeting
2: your goals, um, or you insist on on coal. Yes, as yeah, a source yeah. of energy. So that's the biggest, yeah, for sure, yeah. the biggest. And but you know, in Canada, we are as guilty as, mm. as as the next. We don't insist on coal, but we do insist on bitumen, yeah, uh, which is hardly a clean source of energy. Mm-hmm. And that's really one of the contradictions at the heart of climate politics sometimes. Mm-hmm is that at the same time as we are pursuing, and I mean we broadly, not just Canadians, mm-hmm. as, as jurisdictions are pursuing climate solutions, and some of them are creative, some mm-hmm. of them are exciting, some of them are as simple as providing Wi-Fi on buses to encourage uh, commuters to take the bus mm-hmm. and not drive. Um, at the same time as jurisdictions are finding solutions and promoting solutions, they're trapped because we're all trapped in the logic of growth. Mm-hmm. We cannot think outside of the logic of growth. Yeah. And that's what's going to mm-hmm. bite us on the ass at the end of the day. Can I say that word on your podcast? Uh, yeah.
1: Well, we'll, uh. yeah. <laughs> you're not going
2: to bleep me
0: out. For that one. No,
1: no. I so. You said the A. No, <laughs> I
0: I recently had a rant about Andrew Shear uh, sending out text messages to everybody in which I think I used that word. Oh, so you got, you got one from Sarah. Uh, uh.
1: Yeah, uh yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so, We kind of talked about local level politics, provincial politics, and now a little bit of um, national leadership involved in politics. And in Canada, uh, some people would say that that's sort of getting blurred at the moment with federally uh, mandated carbon taxes and now provinces trying to fight whether or not they have the ability to do that sort of thing. How does the politics of climate change, specifically in New Brunswick, I guess, how do How does a province go about fighting climate change when so many of the factors are kind of out of their control yeah you
2: know alex you you've hit on one of the talking points of those who are most resistant to take action because they point out not incorrectly that Canada contributes what two percent mm-hmm. if that of global emissions i mean it's a very small country, all things yeah. considered. And New Brunswick contributes, what, 0.00001% of global emissions. So even if we close down uh, all of our uh, sources of emissions, we, we, we move to zero emissions tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If there's a carbon yeah. switch on the wall and we just flick the New Brunswick carbon switch and we get to zero carbon, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. It, it, it will not contribute anything to the global uh, crisis. However, we have to lead by example. Mm-hmm. If jurisdictions, mm-hmm. whether large or small, uh, s- do not contribute, then no one will contribute. Mm-hmm. You've got to set the moral example. Uh, moreover, there may be uh, technologies uh, to leverage mm-hmm. uh, so New Brunswick can invest in new technologies, new startups uh, that could be a potential economic boom. Yeah. I've, yeah. So we, mm-hmm. so your point is well taken, Andrew. And it's an excellent point. What can we do? A tiny jurisdiction in New Brunswick that contributes, you know, next to nothing in terms of global emissions, and next to nothing in terms of Canadian emissions. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, but we have to set an example. We must all uh, pursue uh, solutions.
1: Uh, yeah, I think. Well, I think something interesting that I kind of I got from. My I, when I did my research in Kiribati and I think it applies very similarly to this is like, it's also looking at it as looking at it as, like you said, as an opportunity, like I, I like it, this is a small thing. And in the bigger scale, maybe it, it is contributing very little to the, to combating climate change, but it also is improving our public transportation or it is improving, um, access to healthcare or education. So then you, yeah. it, I think it, that is a pro. there's a problem yeah. of framing. Like it, yeah. it's very much if you frame it as it only it is contributing to climate change, then I think it's hard to say, oh, it's hard to see more than just a drop in a bucket, but then uh, yeah, if you, but if your buses are running better, then it's a lot easier. to <laughs> Yes, so. and if your public <laughs> yeah. health is stronger.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things I'm really interested in, uh, although I don't study it uh, is the public health impacts of climate mm-hmm. change yeah. and what that's going to mean going forward. Uh, from extreme heat waves to persistent droughts uh, to uh, to forest fires um, to flash floods I mean these are all public health yeah, and public uh, safety emergencies mm-hmm. um, so even if we're not making a dent in terms of the global emissions rate we are making it a more livable city
0: mm-hmm. a more livable province yeah. because even if I, f- it's, I find the debate is often framed as an either-or. We can either have nice things or we can fight climate change. And that's
2: totally false. But, You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> you Only can get fault. new things that are also good for the environment. Yeah. And it's not nec- it's not all bad. I I feel like I had like my grade eight English class, which is like how long we've been talking about climate change. Is that was, right? Hey, that's yeah, great. We had a debate about whether or not... Cli- like how we should fight climate change. Okay, fascinating. And one side was saying about how I don't want to go back to the stone age and like not use any of my electronics. Nobody's asking. Like, you. And this was this was like grade eight kids and everybody's like, no, it can be more like you can have cooler technology, new things that also yeah. allow you to do these things. Yeah. Um, but at a at a federal level in Canada, there are a lot of um, people who say we should leverage climate change for the economic... Uh, boon of Canada and we'll have more agricultural land and we'll have more <laughs> uh, livable space as if we need more livable space. Um, so there's that kind of weird other side that tries to make a science, uh, a, uh, I guess a quote unquote scientific argument yeah. for why it's good economics to increase the global temperature for Canada.
2: Those people should take plant biology 1000 right. uh, because And again, I defer to your expertise. Uh, Plants can only handle so much carbon dioxide uh, before it's actually not helpful to plants and actually detrimental to plants. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yes, people will say, we'll have longer growing Mm -hmm. seasons. Longer growing seasons means more agriculture. More agriculture means more wealth and on and on. No, no. Uh, And any benefit, any benefit, uh, that comes from a longer growing season and it's not much of a benefit at all, but any benefit that comes from a longer growing season, uh, is undone mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. changing precipitation patterns. Yeah. I mean, that just wipes it out
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you can't grow food
0: without water. Yeah. I went to a seminar back in like 2015, uh Environment Canada when I worked there by a uh, guy talking about bird migration okay and he was talking about how the northern kind of limit of where these birds could live was increasing so they could live like further into Canada but the southern limit of where these birds could live was going further north faster <laughs> than the northern limit and so the actual overall area where the birds could live was actually decreasing because the climate doesn't change evenly everywhere that's itself. right that's
2: right mid latitudes
0: it's it's just like more nuance at every single step of <laughs> what is climate change. It's yeah, it's it's difficult to just give a, a straight answer. Even
2: well, it's a as I said earlier a super wicked problem. Yeah, yeah. That's Without right. easy, straightforward, or, or or simple solutions, there is no climate switch. Mm-hmm. Moreover, and and my students do find this depressing. Talking about students and their emotional reaction yeah, to the course. Yeah. We do talk about positive feedback loops, yeah. that even if there was uh, a climate switch on the wall that we could just turn off like a light switch, we are now locked into a certain. almost certainly a 3, three and a half, four degrees C scenario because of uh, feedback loops, the melting of the permafrost uh, and 50% of Canada is permafrost, mm-hmm. the melting of the permafrost, uh, the release of Of methane, which is a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon Mm -hmm. dioxide, Um, and well,
1: yeah, it's just it just just becomes a a loop, yeah.
2: The loop, the loop. Terrifying. More methane means more warming. More warming means more methane, Um, and of course, the melting of the ice means a lower albedo. Lower albedo means more solar uh, absorption, less solar reflection. Mm -hmm. More solar absorption means warmer planet. it just goes on and on and on and that's going on in the background Mm -hmm. as we speak that positive feedback loop um, that's terrifying Yeah. Uh, and we talked earlier about indigenous politics in the far north their world is changing so quickly that the ice that they relied on and understood for thousands of years they can't trust anymore their houses are built on permafrost but that permafrost is is melting, is subsiding, is refreezing, it's ch- it's cracking their foundations, it's it's hampering their uh, talk about public health, you know, hurting mm. their uh, water systems and their sewage systems in these in these communities. Yeah, it's not a pretty picture.
1: I think we're maybe coming to to the end here and. That- I guess so. I could talk about this for hours. Oh, I mean, I think so. I think so. Could we? It's. It is. We've. We've been recording with you for a little while now, so, I'd, um, I, I. I don't. think any of us are really done with it. Um, and I. I think this is a conversation Alex and I will want to like keep having in. In different ways, but, um, also I. I guess something like I kind of I noticed that you're you're saying you're sort of ahead the cur ahead of the curve on running a, a course, uh, on climate politics. Um, for you as an educator, I guess is there, is there Are there things you'd like to see happening in post-secondary? Like, how would you like to see education on this growing and continuing, I guess? And uh, where do you see the opportunities, maybe?
2: I see opportunities everywhere Mm -hmm. for for students and researchers because climate change is going to drive every field. It's going to drive chemistry. It's going to drive biology. It's going to drive plant biology. It's going to drive marine biology. But it's going to drive Mm -hmm. political science. Mm -hmm. It's going to drive history it's driving right now psychology psychologists are studying things like eco-anxiety yeah they're studying things like denial what is the psychology of a denier well Mm -hmm. it's a unique yeah complicated (laughs) mind not one that i think i will ever understand but (laughs) psychologists can study the psychology Mm -hmm. of denial Mm -hmm. so there are opportunities everywhere Mm -hmm. Now, if you're asking for my fantasy for UNB, and if any administrator at UNB is listening, (laughs) I would dearly love to see a school of the environment Mm -hmm. uh, to bring together uh, the folks in engineering, the folks in science, uh, and the folks in literary criticism or Mm -hmm. doing eco-criticism, me in political science, studying the politics of climate change, uh, bring them together and create a really cool niche program Uh, that would attract students literally from across the country
1: yeah yeah no it's it that's definitely something that i've been like struggling to figure out where it's because it's hard to see right now i think in the post-secondary field where if you're doing this research exactly you fit always and and, like what department you go to is do do i go to political science do i go to science it's not a perfect fit for any of them right now yeah no
2: uh forestry is another one that's Mm -hmm certainly studying uh, how, how a warming planet uh is affecting forests um there's a really cool program though and kaylee you should check it mm-hmm. out if you want to do a second master's <laughs> um if you're a real glutton for punishment yeah. <laughs> if you want to delay the phd and do a second master's at the university of waterloo oh yeah in climate change mm-hmm. uh, they have a niche master's program yeah. uh, in climate change so you might want to check that out. Uh,
1: yeah, and if I don't, uh, it's good that we're talking about it, and then maybe somebody else will also want <laughs> to. I'm not sure if I'm ready to gear up for a master's again. but <laughs> One you know, was enough? Uh, so far. So far.
0: <laughs> Weak, Kaylee, come on. Join us back in academia.
2: <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great gig. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. And, you know, Alex, I'm very envious of you. Uh, being a PhD student really is a privilege because you could spend – Five or six years, or maybe a bit faster in the sciences, four years, I think. It's, it's a bit faster, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm hoping so. Yeah, It's, it's usually a bit faster <laughs> in the sciences, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, because you're doing so much teamwork and you're part of a lab. It's not the lonely archive rat, yeah. uh, lonely library rat. Yeah. But it's a real privilege, though, to spend four years uh, researching and thinking mm-hmm. about a, a question, mm-hmm. uh, and you'll never have that chance yeah. again in your life, mm-hmm. because before you know it, it's It's car payments and mortgages and blah, 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 (laughs) middle-class mediocrity.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so just to close, maybe for other academics who are listening potentially, um, or people who want to bring this to uh, a favorite professor of theirs, uh, how did you go about kind of, or how, how was this course planned? How did you go about choosing what to include in it and it's it's just such a huge thing it is it's talking huge
2: about. so i i i broke it down into to manageable units mm-hmm. so what is climate change mm-hmm. uh and then we look at uh climate diplomacy you know the formation of the unf and then the conference of the parties and the lead up to kyoto um and then the disaster at copenhagen and then the hope of paris but then we go from the from climate diplomacy we go down to the national level uh and look at my three case studies are mm-hmm. uh bangladesh because uh, i wanted a country from yeah. the global south mm-hmm. uh, australia the united states and and canada because of course we live in canada and the students are most familiar with canada and then we do it there's a logic then we go to the sub-national level mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And so, my case study for the sub national level is New Brunswick because, of course, we're in New Brunswick. But if I was teaching at McMaster, I'd, have a, I'd do Ontario. Or if I was teaching at UBC, I'd do BC. Mm-hmm. BC. Um, likewise, if I, if I was teaching in, in, in New York State, I'd, I'd, I'd do at the sub national level, I'd look at the really cool politics of climate politics in New York yeah. because, in many ways, in the United States, mm-hmm. It's the individual states there that are driving go. real policy. You give up yeah, on the federal yeah. government. Mm-hmm. Forget Washington. It's dysfunctional. Yeah. It's hopeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the subnational level, the level of the states, really cool that. things are happening. Yeah. And then we do specific units, again, uh, on denial mm-hmm. and the politics of denial. Uh, we look at refugees and the uh, question near and dear to your heart, uh, Kaylee. Uh, we look at climate refugees and what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the refugees themselves but also for the global community Um, and then i do try uh, and alex this is the end of the course i do try to end the course on a hopeful note that Mm -hmm. we cannot give in to despair yes it's a problem yes it's a a wicked problem yes it's a super wicked problem i know all that (laughs) but there are cool people doing cool things Mm -hmm. um there's doug parsons just this dude in arizona yeah, with his he's... podcast doing cool things mm-hmm. there's the two of you uh <laughs> in Fredericton and in hamilton doing cool things uh there's extinction rebellion uh there is uh climate strikes mm-hmm. in the spring um academics and there's a movement in academia uh to no longer fly if oh. academics want to attend a conference yeah. you've got to either take public transportation or It's a bit easier in Europe, obviously, because you can take uh, a train or you can uh, take a bus. a little harder in Canada, Uh, but Skype in or FaceTime in or don't burn those emissions Mm. to go give a 20-minute paper Mm. uh, in in Vancouver and be honest with yourself you really want to go to Vancouver because it's a cool city. Yeah. And you want to go to the hip new sushi restaurant. <laughs> and your justification is, oh, I'm giving a learned paper at a learned conference. Mm-hmm. No, you want to go to Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Be, yeah. So I end on that note that there are cool people doing cool things who have not thrown in the towel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've done that. I think that's that. That's a note I would like to end this on, and I generally try and end on when I'm talking to other people as well. Like, it's it's because it's it's it is a it can be a real bummer to leave somebody on a lower yeah. lower note than that, and it's hard to hard to know where to go from there. But yeah, thank you very much for coming in to talk
2: to us. And, well, thank you for the invitation. It's been great fun and lovely meeting you, Alex, <laughs> across
0: the <Yeah>. airwaves. Great, <laughs> great to meet you. This was Donald Wright from UNB in Fredericton talking about. Uh, Cool people doing cool things regarding climate change. (laughs) So that was Don Wright, professor of political science at the University of New Brunswick, talking about a first year course that he's developed there about the politics of climate change. Uh, make sure to, uh, find the newsletter. If you're not already on the (laughs) newsletter mailing list, send us an email. Kaylee will put you on the newsletter. She puts a lot of work into it. I put a little (laughs) bit of work into it. Uh, that'll have the syllabus to the course and have kind of the readings that go along with it. If you're interested in that sort of thing. And also some articles that we've selected, uh, to give you some ideas and flavors of what we've been reading this week.
1: It's really great uh, of him to have provided the syllabus and I think his readings are pretty accessible. So if you, yeah, if you're looking to dive in uh, definitely go check
0: that out. So thank you again to Don Wright from UNB and also thank you guys for remembering to rate the (laughs) podcast, review the podcast, like the podcast on every uh, platform that you can find, uh, which is all the, all the platforms. Remember if you can find us, not on a platform, send us an email about it at probablyaboutpolitics at gmail.com or tweet us at probpolitics and you'll get some sort of deal on some sort of future merch.
1: Good. Promise big.
0: Thanks for listening to Probably About Politics.